Hello and welcome to the premiere episode of the Guntersounds.net podcast. I'm your host, Neil in Arizona. Today is Friday, January 12th, 2024. Hashtag create 2024. Thanks for listening because you probably have no idea what this podcast is about being that it is the first episode, but this podcast is a hobbyist's podcast and it focuses on audio production, which includes audio manipulation and anything related to just producing audio. And when it comes to hobbying, we could sit here and talk about all of the things that the big dogs do in the industry, but being a hobbyist means you really don't have any rules. And that's what I like about what I do with audio. And if you look at hobbies in general, they all consist of about three different types of individuals. You have your kind of your amateur that just kind of messes with it a little bit. And then you have your enthusiasts that are just really into whatever hobby it is. And then you have the snob experts that look down their nose on everybody else. But they're cool too. I'm, in a, I'm involved in a few different groups online uh, that talk about audio, audio production and things like that. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to consolidate all of this information and on my part learn a lot more and hope, hopefully you can learn more as well too. And so this type, this podcast that I'm doing is going to be focusing on old techniques, new developments, and how hobbyists in general are combining all this. I like to look at like the hobbies is kind of like I have a friend that does uh, like he's actually he's an aeronautical hobbyist. He literally builds planes and flies them around, not drones. Like he builds little airplanes and remote control flies them around. There's even a small landing strip that he told me about. And I was just, I was actually amazed at how much this guy knew about airports and, and uh, airlines and things like that. And so that's kind of like what I equal this to it. Audio is very similar. There's so many different uh, techniques that people can use. And I have a friend here as my first guest on this premiere episode of the GunnerSounds.net podcast. And he is a veteran. He is an entrepreneur here locally in the East Valley. When I say East Valley, I'm talking about Phoenix, Arizona. We are east of Phoenix. We are not in Phoenix. And he is, like I said, he is a veteran and he has been around the world. He has done different assignments uh, in the military. And before that, he and I were basically uh, teenage friends. I like to say childhood friends because I'm old enough to know that I've known this guy for three quarters of my life now. I think he can validate that. But anyway, I want to bring on my special guest for my premiere episode of the GunnerSounds.net podcast, Brian Downs. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much for being my first guest. Yeah, man. Thanks for inviting me. Whoa! <laughs> so, let's start from your military service. Let's just start there. Everybody loves veterans. Like, who in America doesn't love veterans? It might have been different back in the uh, 70s during Vietnam and things like that, but people in America treat us veterans really nice. So, let's talk a little bit about uh, your, your time in the military. Um, what exactly did you do military-wise? So, when I was in the military, I was in the Air Force. 
And I joined the Air Force to get out of San Bernardino, you know. Right. Because it was such a lovely town. We loved it. <laughs> but we had to get out. Remember, that it was the 90s, so the recession hit, and we were poor. Yep, very poor. Ten, so, I always say $10 short of being homeless. Dude, it, it was pretty close. So, yeah, I joined the military, and uh, they turned me into a plumber. And I was mad. I was like, what? What is going on here? I'm not going to be a plumber. Nope, you're going to be a plumber. I took that different. I was like, you're going to be a civil engineer? <laughs> right. I still call you civil engineer right. to this day. I'm very proud of your title. Oh, thanks, dude. So, yeah, um, became a plumber in the Air Force. And then, uh, you know, I went to Luke Air Force Base, and I was at, I was in Korea, and I got deployed all over the place, Middle East and whatnot, uh, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. And then uh, my last four years in the military, uh, I had a special duty assignment at the White House. And I spent four years there with the okay. family. Okay, you, you just grazed over your last assignment, the White House. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not a house that is painted white, but the actual White House where the commander-in-chief resides. The commander-in-chief, yes. Yeah. Special duty assignment. It, it was cool, you know? It's cool because uh, what we did, um, I mean, it's, it's a classified job, but what we did was um, we basically, one of the jobs we had was we performed Marine One helicopter operations on the South Lawn. So whenever Marine One lands, we're like the direct point of contact between Marine One and then all of the, um, you know, everyone on the radio of where, of where the whereabouts of where the president is and how the helicopters, how the um, Marine One is landing in and whatnot. So that was our responsibility. Um, so that was just one of the things we did there. And I mean, I, I breezed over it only because it's not really a lot we could talk about, but. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, when I talk to people and I talk about like, you know, friends of ours that were in the Air Force or in the in the military in general, I, I was uh, in the Army, obviously. But um, the the interesting thing is we, we both know this, like, you know how fishermen have the liar's corner where, you know, the fishermen get together <laughs> yeah. and they tell fish tales. Yeah. Veterans are very good at telling exaggerated stories. <laughs> if you went to the Middle East, obviously you kick down doors the whole time and you fought. Uh, you were the guy that opened up the Saddam, ha- uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, you know, hole and found him yourself. You know, those kind of goofy stories that veterans tell. But I really have a hard time telling people that a good friend of mine served at the White House because yeah. it sounds like a lie. It does sound like a lie. And that's, <laughs> and that's why, you know, when I bring it up to people for the first time, I, you know, I'm not gloating about it, but I'm just sort of like referencing a time in my military career. And and I know they're they're probably thinking to me like yeah what a liar you're, you're a bullshitter <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> typical veteran like, whatever fish tales yeah. so <laughs> well the the interesting thing was so so a, a really uh, my big question that I have I've never asked you this is did you get selected like like how to, like if you want to become a drill sar if you become a drill sergeant in the in the in the U S Army or a recruiter you come down on a list like it's like okay hey some orders came in on you uh you're going to be a recruiter what i'm going to be a recruiter yeah you're going to be a recruiter no you're not going to get out of it you're going to does that kind of how it worked for you did you or did yeah did, yeah, did somebody so, call you or yeah so it was 2006 and um so sidestepping i was i was at the NCO academy and one of the guys i saw or you know i met up with him again at the NCO academy and i'm like dude i haven't seen you in a couple of years where have you been he goes oh i'm i'm working at this place 
I'm like, well, can you tell me about it? He goes, no. He goes, well, it's in Vegas, though. It's near Vegas. Oh, one of those. So I was like, oh. he's v- like, Vegas. So I'm like, well, dude. desert. So we, I end up saying, like, you know, I asked him, hey, uh, if you have any openings, if you know, like, let me know. I'm only, I've been at, because at this time I was at Travis Air Force Base and I've been there almost 10 years. I'm like, okay. I'm itching to get out of here. Right. So I thought it'd be a cool assignment. And he goes, well, I'll let you know if there's anything that comes up because the only way to get here is if you're invited. Mm. And you need, it's a top secret clearance. You need a clearance and all that stuff. So I thought, that's cool. I can pass that. So a couple of months go by and he goes, hey, I got this opening for you. Do you want it? And I go, well, what's it about? He goes, well, I can't tell you, <laughs> but it's here. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the stuff you see on like action movies, right? Right. I, I, I can't tell you, but... Uh... Can't tell you about it. <laughs> so so he... Um, so you know, I ended up calling him back and I said, no, I, I just got married. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'll be away from my family a lot. So... I'm going to have to pass on this one. He goes, okay. So anyway, about a month passes, about a month passes. And I get this strange email and it was, I was at work, of course, <clears throat> you know, I'm in, I'm in the planning department of my, the civil engineer squadron. And I get an email from a gunnery sergeant and it literally hmm. just said, call me like a Marine gunnery sergeant, huh? A Marine gunnery sergeant. Yeah. And it just said, call me. And it was his name. I can't remember his name now. And it was his signature block, which had his phone number. Oh, nice. So I was like, call I, me. I never got an email like that, just to let you know. <laughs> and so like there was three or four of us in, in our office, you know, and I'm like, hey, what is what do you guys think this means? And he goes, I don't know. So we looked at the email address and it was it's his first name dot last name at WHMO dot mil. So, oh, so okay. obviously it's military related, you know, yeah. WHMO. What does that mean? White House something. What the hell? WH? It's got to be White House something. Yeah. So I call the guy up and he goes, Sergeant Downs are you interested in coming out for an interview for, you know, to work at the white house? I'm like, what? <laughs> so they called me for an interview. You're, and I, you're looking for cameras at this point. Well, and I'm am like, I getting punked? Is this real? Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm like, well, I mean at the minimum I'll fly out there for their experience. Like it'd be fun to go out there to hang out in Washington DC for a, a weekend or so or a whole week. So yeah, I flew out there and it was a two day interview process. And, uh, the second day, like the last day, um, you know, we had already had the background checks. We did, did the, uh, the screening, everything like that. Yeah. Right. And then, so the, the Colonel, or maybe she was a captain, a major, maybe she was a major. Anyway, she was like the lead of our group. And, um, she goes, okay, Sergeant Downs, we've confirmed, uh, I think we want you. Do you, do you want this gig? And I was like, um, I don't know. Can I at least talk to my wife about it? <laughs> right. So I went home and I told my wife, I was like, um, yeah, so we're going to DC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're not. You're you're, you're kind of letting, ask, you're letting her know. I didn't even ask her because she thought like I had to go. Right. So I'm like, uh, yeah. So we're gonna go, and we're gonna be. We'll be leaving here in a few months. So she was excited about it. So yeah, that's how I got to DC. And I guess during that time was when you were probably still wrapping up clearances and stuff because um, that's when you you kind of gave me a warning. Hey, I put your name down as a reference, and then. Uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two later, this lady uh, visits me at this place I was working at in Phoenix at the time. She calls me. She makes an appointment. She walks in, and she's a civilian contractor, a DOD civilian contractor, and she does security clearances. And she walks in, and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm running an IT shop. <laughs> and I just like, yeah, come on in. Hey, what are you, what are you doing? And she's kind of like... Um, like obviously I wasn't being professional enough with this lady. So she's like, uh, do you, did you reserve a conference room for us? And I'm like, no, I got my, I got my little workshop. No, no, no. We need a conference. We need to go somewhere quiet. And I'm like, 
oh, I, I think I, I think I need to take this lady a little more serious. <laughs> so, so we, I get a, I get a conference room and we, we go in this conference room and we sit down and she starts just, I don't remember the questioning, but I remember they were very serious questions. And every time I answered the lady, she gave me this look of disbelief <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, I am getting nowhere with this lady. And then it was all done. She just kind of like smiled at me, shook my hand, told me, thank you very much. Yep. And she appreciated my time, but it was not a very fun, um, like did, these people take it serious. Did you feel like you're being investigated? Yeah, I felt like I was the one under investigation. She just, I really felt like anything I said, she did not take serious. I was like really trying to be as truthful about everything yeah. that, you know, cause these people like, yeah, you know that they mean business when they ask these questions. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely not like the movies. No, you know, it's, it's, it's very administrative. It's very straightforward. And yeah, that, that process takes, I think it took about 10 months for the whole clearing process to go through. And, you know, they asked you and then they probably asked, well, who else does he know? And then yeah. they went, they went and asked those people yeah. things about, so they try to like go down the rabbit hole to find out as much as they can about that person. Yeah. I can't really remember a lot of the answers I gave them. I think they might've asked me people I knew, but I was like, well, the thing is, is we, we both been in the affiliate with the military for so many years now. I don't really know where he goes these days yeah. because he's over there and I'm over here. And I, I think I remember telling her he's more like a brother than anything at this point because <laughs> you know we, we were friends back in the day but i mean she i think a lot of the questions they ask go back 10 years maybe yeah or something that like that. Right. but anyway it was it was very it was i was very excited for you though uh you know that you're that you were going to be I, th I think you might have made the joke or something that um like they were going to issue you special overalls or something <laughs> no <laughs> no so so yeah people ask me what i do and i was like well um you know i, I try to like glaze over sort of generically what I did there. Yeah. But because we wore, they're like, well, what did you wear? Did you have to wear a military uniform or anything? I was like, no, it's all civilian. So, you know, we wore like cargo pants and a polo shirt and boots. I'm like, basically a tactical janitor. <laughs> I look like a tactical janitor. They're like, who's that guy? He's just a tactical janitor. Don't wait, worry wait, about it. So you said it was a polo shirt um, with slacks, you said? Yeah. No. So we had cargo, like oh, know, cargo. The, the 511 jeans, you know, the 511 yeah. tactical pants. <laughs> Basically, five eleven stuff. Did did the Air Force do what we call in the Army mandatory fun day, where you had a <laughs> you had a lunch and like you had to bring the wife and 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 just show up and have fun on their behalf? No. Oh, no. they do that in the Army. They call it mandatory fun day, and there would always be like the guy. Like you could show up in whatever you want. You could wear shorts. You could wear sandals. Whatever. And there's always that guy that shows up looking like he's a security guard at the mall. Yeah. He's wearing like, you know, 5'11 pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they made you look like that. That's yeah, kind of... exactly. So yeah, so so then I retired and then went to ASU for construction management. And then, um, yeah, now I have my own business. So running the plumbing company. And that company is called... Red Horse Plumbing. Yeah, Red Horse Plumbing. Um, and uh, how did you get the name Red Horse? Yeah, so when I was... Um, when I was in Korea in 2000, I was in a unit called Red Horse and it's just an engineering, it's a combat unit really with a bunch of engineers. So I was, I was in that unit in Korea. And then when I was in Afghanistan, uh, I was in the unit again there. Wow. So it kind of harkens back to my military days. Yeah. I, I remember when you told me about the name, I was like, oh, that's a cool name. And I remember thinking like, I've heard that somewhere before and that's yeah. Like by the DMZ, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's funny because like even, even here in town, 
I mean, there's not really, there's no military bases around other than the reserve base, but I have people like stopping me. I've had a couple of people stop me. Oh, Red Horse. Like they were in oh, Red Horse back in the yeah, day. That's like, the, yeah, that's like, cool. what? Like, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's super cool. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I did, you know, I did it, I did a tour in Iraq and, um, you know, I, you know, we, uh, I guess the big claim to fame was I wasn't too far from the burn pit. I mean, I, I was there, the burn pit. Got bronchitis. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, another thing too was like, uh, another interesting thing that you did was when I was stationed, stationed in Mesa, um, you were, we would occasionally get to hang out and you told me, well, I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. Uh, I'm going out to Kuwait and, uh, and I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing? Well, uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Okay. He can't tell me what he's doing. But then, and then I got an email from you when you were out there. I don't know if you remember, but you sent me an email and said, um, yeah, I'll be able to tell you a little bit about <laughs> what I did when I get back, but I can't say it on email. <laughs> and, and then I asked you what you did. And you, I think you said like, I don't know, we built some outhouses or something. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> like it was, you, you just weren't allowed to discuss it on email. Yeah. And then you did, um, Another one where you were in the Indian Ocean or something, oh, yeah. or near the Indian Ocean or yeah, something. That's right. Diego Garcia. I forgot about that place. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good assignment. Uh, so it's basically, it's a, it's a British island, and there's a segment that they let the, the U.S. military um, lease out. So there's a Navy base there, like a naval post, naval base. Okay. <clears throat> and so they have, they have this naval base, and what they used it for back then was they, would ba- they were basically bombing Afghanistan from Diego Garcia. They were using B-52s. Wow. <clears throat> so it was sort of like a support function for the global war on terror. But, but, it, but it was before. This was all before even 9-11. No, this was right at 9-11. Oh, was it? This is why we were there, yeah. So right after 9-11, we, oh, okay. we got deployed out to Diego Garcia. So remember, they they um, they brought in all the reservists. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was happy but pissed at the same time because... We got deployed to Diego, Diego Garcia, which is a great assignment because it's basically like a tropical paradise, you know. But oh. I was mad because the like normally I got stationed to Saudi Arabia or the the mid you know Middle East somewhere. The reservists got all the cushy ones like Belize, Diego <laughs> Garcia. I'm right. like, you bastards are taking all the good assignments, and us active duty are taking all the shitty ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? Um, so so maybe my timeline's off. Were you, were you up at Travis when uh, in during 9/11? Right. So oh, I, okay. So I got to Travis. So this is right after when I was in Korea. My follow on was at was at Travis and I got there in August of 20 what was it 2001 it was 9/11, right? Okay. So yeah, so I got there August of um 20 of 2001. Okay. And then the next month all hell broke loose. Okay, okay, I okay, I see. Um, so you went to like Kuwait, I think, when you were stationed at Luke. Maybe is that what happened? I went to when I, I was at know. Luke. I got stationed to Saudi Arabia twice. Saudi Arabia twice. Yeah. And I called you from Kuwait uh, when we were getting ready to go into Iraq. I, I caught like yeah. you were, I, I called you right before that, and I you were like familiar with some of the camps. I think. Like, did you know that territory? Like, had you been out there to Kuwait before? Never. Um. I was in Kuwait in 2004, I think. Two, wait, 2006. Oh, 2006. 2006 yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm mixing up conversations. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh well, it was a long it was a long time. I Rab- mean, rabbit hole. I know. How, how long were you? You were in the Everest for tw- like 22 years, maybe. <sighs> it was 21 years, three months, and 15 days, but no oh, one's counting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was. I, I retired as a reservist, uh, so I was for me it was like 24 years or something like that. Yeah. I, 
glad, glad to glad to be doing what I'm doing now. And speaking of that, you know, enough of that. Um, hopefully, nobody's turned off the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what does this okay, have to do with this? Enough of your guys' audio liars' tales right. about the veteran stuff. Um, so yeah, so back um, we met in nineteen. Was it 1988? I think we met in 88, maybe. Um, I was a sophomore in school, so it had to have been 88. It was 88, really? Yeah, I was, I was a 10th grader. I was 15. Hmm. That sounds about right. Um, we were in a math class. Technically not a remedial. <laughs> it, it, was, it was like the math class you took so that you could graduate. It wasn't the dummy math class, but it was basically not for advanced people. It was like, I don't, I don't want to do mathematical formulas. I, I got too much drama at home <laughs> to, was, to study. Right. But you sat kind of in front of me and you, uh, you, you were wearing it. You always wore like a Batman basically. You were, you kind of like, Oh yeah. You were like a guy that, is that um, when Batman came out? Okay. Yeah. You were like a guy that kind of like, just like went along with the, not, not saying you followed all the trends and you were like a trendy guy, but you kind of like yeah. blended in with with everybody, well, yeah, yeah, and uh, you had the baseball hat, the of course, the Batman. But you, you, I don't, you came up, and I don't know why, but you asked if we were in a band, Jason, and you, you asked, are you guys, are you in a band? I want, I, and I play. You said something like either I play guitar or I'm looking to play guitar. I'm, I'm I trying play, to remember. Yeah, I was playing guitar at that point, but I you really, were playing guitar. I sucked. Okay, so did you have a guitar before? Cause the guitar I remember that you got was a BC Rich, which we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> not it, because it wasn't good it still exists that's all you need to know <laughs> part of it still exists yeah yeah so my first guitar was an epiphone remember i don't know if you remember but the epiphone they came out with a strat style guitar it had, oh, it had the banana it, headstock and everything i do remember now yeah and oh, i and, I, cool. and okay. I mutilated it because i wanted a rocking guitar but that's all i could afford i had that and a little pv bandit amp okay i remember now yeah and the yeah it was not loud enough it was not loud it it sounded awful okay but as but it's what i had and so we said you're welcome to be in the band we got to hear what you're doing yeah probably i don't remember (laughs) actually i think that's probably what happened because then it was later that's when i bought the bc rich yeah you got the bc rich and you ended up getting uh we were talking about it before uh you had the crate half stack yeah now was the cabinet a crate too it was a PV. It was a PV cabinet. A PV cabinet. And you had a crate solid state head. Yeah. You had that sweep, right? Wasn't wasn't there like a sweep? It was. Yeah. I remember like that. Like a sweep EQ, yeah. <laughs> it, it was basically cutting out all the mid-range. <laughs> yeah, that 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 crate amp had no mid-range, right? It well, not the way I dialed it in. <laughs> I was like no mid-range. We you know, we were talking about this like, you know, in in reality we really just didn't understand what we owned. No, no, at the time. not at all. Well, I look back now and I think about that amp, and it was basically like it was just a large distortion box. That's yeah. The, that's kind of how it, it's kind of like you know when you get a, when you get a pedal, and you're like I'm gonna get all this cool sound. That's what that's the way we thought back then. Like I thought I was gonna get all my distortion from a distortion box. Yeah, I, I plugged in the distortion box to get distortion. And it didn't sound what I wanted it to sound like. Yeah, I've got I've got a buddy. Uh, and he he's a guitar player. I think I might have told you about him. He's got a B bender. He's got like two different B bender Telecasters. Yeah, he's a just a really awesome guy, and he's into the old country Willie Nelson all uh, all that stuff. But when we see each other at work, because we work together, but we don't see each other as much as we used to, he'll see me and go, 
hey man, I'm gonna get that 1989 crate. <laughs> Don't do it with the built-in DOD distortion. Yes, exactly. That's that's it. That's that's what it sounds like. <laughs> and he'll go with my eight gauge, super slinky, so I could be just yes. like CC from Poison. Dude, seriously, that's. That's a good description of it. That's literally what it sounds like. It sounds like a DOD distortion box. <laughs> this guy's like a walking comedian. <laughs> He's a really funny guy, but he really loves to like riff on a CC DeVille for some reason. It's well, like a sub- obsession for him. Well, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I bought the crate because well, it was affordable. And plus CC DeVille played it. Why? It has to be good. It, so CC DeVille did play crate back then. I don't know if you played them, but I, they were heavily sponsored. Okay. And maybe not, I don't, I just remember them being advertised everywhere and um, I don't know. It was affordable. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, too bad we didn't know what we had back then. We probably could have taken it a lot further, but that's okay. Cause you ended up with some really good gear later. Um, and we'll talk about that, but um, going, going back a little bit on this, um, you, you got your gear together and then, um, and, and then you, you, oh, you, you kind of disappeared. That's what it was. You, you disappeared. Um, I, I, if I remember this right, I didn't know where you went and you ended up just leaving town. You went to Apple Valley, I think. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I don't remember if you came over and said, I have to leave. I'm going to Apple Valley, but then you just weren't around for a while, but then all of a sudden you showed up and I think that's when you got your gear, like right after that. Yeah. So I essentially left home. And I moved to Apple Valley. I ran away, essentially. Oh, is that what happened? You kind of just booted out of town. Yeah, I was like, uh, I don't I know don't, if you went with family or no. I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to live with my mom anymore. I'm, oh. I'm out. I'm out of. Yeah, you you had you had a little rough time when you were younger. I think we all did in our own ways. But yeah. you know, we've all uh, thank God we're all where we're at now. But um, you know, when we uh, on this next segment though, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened after all that. But you made your way out there to um, Apple Valley, and you you know, I'm going to be honest, Apple Valley, I, I liked all that stuff, uh, believe it or not. I liked Apple Valley. I liked um, Lancaster. Yeah. Um, Barstow. Um, all those desert, and of course, the Palm Desert. I, I was like, I was pretty obsessed in that stuff. So when you were like, yeah, I was living out there, I was kind of like, I, was, I kind of thought you were kind of lucky, <laughs> believe it or not. It was an experience. It was something different, you know? To, to me, there's like something about sitting out in the open desert in the sand and just not having anything, you know? <laughs> and you're just kind of like sitting there. And so so when when you, you ended up getting a job, I think like at KFC or something, uh, right? Is that what happened? Yeah. And, so, then, and then you earned the money for all that equipment. So I think I, well, no, I had a job. So I got a job before that at the grocery store. Because I worked at the grocery store in Apple Valley. Oh, so when, okay. So when I moved back down to San Bernardino, I got another another. Jo- I got a job at Lucky's. Remember Lucky's? Oh yeah. Well, we both were there for a little while. I, I got you a job there at Lucky's. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so then, but I, you know, I wasn't working enough. I couldn't afford much. So I'm like, well, I can just work two jobs. So then I was working at KFC during the day and Lucky's at like graveyard shift. Oh, that's so weird because I ended up at KFC after that before I joined the army good food though of course after you because you're always first <laughs> i didn't mean to be believe me 
I'm trying to make it happen. Um, so yeah, so while you were gone on your um, what what would we call that? Your experience in the desert. In the desert, yeah. Um, we ended up we we continued our mission, and it was me, Jason, and Caesar. And you know, Caesar, we'll talk about Caesar in a little bit, but uh, we ended up. Um, I hope I don't blast everybody with this, but this is the first recording. Well, I had been recording stuff since I was knee high, right? I, I, I could talk about that uh, all day about all the goofy little things I used to record. In fact, my dad was like laughing the other day because he was laughing about how I used to walk around with a boombox and just oh, record stuff. That's cool. Um, and then my dad, believe it or not, I was influenced a little bit by my dad. My dad used to do Bible studies all by himself upstairs in his home office. And he would sit there with one of those. Uh, in fact, um, it's, it was a recorder kind of like this one here. Oh yeah. Um, he actually had the radio shack, uh, version, but he would sit with that pen microphone. Oh yeah. That had a, like a, a three and a half inch or three and a half millimeter jack. Mm-hmm. And it was like a two prong. I remember those. Yeah. yeah. He would sit there and I have no idea why he would do this, but he would read the Bible and then he would just talk about what he read. I, I don't know what he was trying to do, but I asked him if he had those tapes because I wanted to transfer them to digital, but apparently uh, my mom said they, they threw them away, unfortunately. But my dad used to be like into recording crap mm. too. And so um, anyway, um, so when it came to recording music, um, it really was uh, nothing. It, it kind of was second nature to me. So this is um, this is not the first recording we ever did, but this was one of the first ones we did. So, as you can tell, it's thrash metal. I love this, man. <laughs> so awesome. There's no singing on it because we didn't have a singer yet. We were writing tunes. And like I said, you know, you can tell it's very, very heavy metal. The guitar is grindy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that's our, our good friend Caesar, who, by the way, is like, um, he, I, he does not play guitar like that anymore at all. No, he, he is so good. He's always been good, though. Yeah, he has always been very good. He is a master. He has played every... T- so Caesar is from Dominican Republic, and he has a heavy Spanish background, and he's played salsa, merengue, He's a hero uh, in in San Bernardino as a Mexic like a Mexican hero. So he's playing in all these uh, like bandas type of bands, um, and he's got his own other band called Blue Haze. Uh, really cool stuff. But yeah, Caesar just has mastered the chords. Yeah, and, he is. He's really he's talented. That that basically is Caesar without any lessons, without any training. Picked up a guitar and just started playing like yeah, that. it was so fast. <laughs> um, so anyway, that recording, the way we recorded that uh, that recording right there, um, is I had here's some I had is uh, I had let's see. So this is the time for historical artifacts here. Hang on, I can't wait. I think I remember how you recorded some of this. You, yeah, you, you might remember. So I am uh, handing. Oh yes, dude. Oh man. <laughs> oh shit. I, I can't believe that these things That's survived. Funny. Holy crap, dude! I remember these. Yeah. Oh wait, is it now? This is, this is reverb. No, this is the high end. Oh. This is like. So do you remember the Radio Shack on University Drive? 
uh, university in like uh, south of Kendall, maybe? Did, did university run north south? I can't remember. University, I think, ran east west. East west, then? Okay, so. Wait, I think it was sort of like a, at a diagonal. Yeah, it was diagonal. Yeah. Um, anyway, there was a Radio Shack on. I remember this. You know, I used to ride my bike there to buy these things, and I, I can't believe I still have these microphones. So cool. Yeah. So the one that you're holding there is the one that comes in the, it comes in an actual box. It's a nice case. I know, right? It's like, it's like, I, I just, I, I don't want to lose the microphone, but I really don't want to lose the case. Right. And then these other two are like, a, are like in a cardboard box. Yeah. Those they're, are super high impedance. So you can't have a long cable. They're really good. They look, they look fantastic though. Oh. Yeah. For some reason I just, ha- I Wait, just, hold on. on you still them. have them into the, you still have the plastic wrapping. Yeah. In the foam. Uh, protection. Yeah, because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to because you know what's funny is so these ones, these I actually bought um, after like we were in the. I used to have more of these. I used to have about eight of them. Yeah. But these ones, I don't know if you remember, but the they would break after a while. Mm-hmm. The the tip would break off, and so that's why I started keeping them as uh, packaged. I see. Did you did you use these to record the drums? Yeah, we did. So what I did with that recording is I took the microphones and I just mic'd the room. So I stuck the mics, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was fifteen year old, fifteen year old, or sixteen year old kid, and I I just took the mics and stuck them in the vicinity of the instruments. So because because I, I knew. Okay, so I'll show you something else here. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the reverb unit, but I have the mixer. Yes, I remember this. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is an old <clears throat> Radio Shack mixing board, four channel, no preamp. I remember this. They're, those are line ins, I believe. I mean, no, technically, I think there are mic pre's, if I remember right. Well, they must. They must have. Well, there's a power. Mon- I don't know. But whatever it was, they didn't do the job <laughs> the way they the the, the way they should have, but. You don't still have the de- the delay, do you? No, I I lost it. Oh, I, <laughs> that is like that was like the coolest. It was. It had its unique sound to it. <laughs> the most horrendous like <laughs> reverb delay unit ever ever made. <laughs> but I remember it. So yeah, um, so we we I took those, just lined them in, and then um, I don't think I have it. Okay, and here's the other artifact. I don't know. I t- actually, I sent you a picture of this. Oh, oh yeah. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you're like, why RCA, are... RCA to uh, Phono. Now, those, believe it or not, I think these are from the 70s. Oh, really? Because my dad... I got these off of my dad back then. Are those then. also realistic? Yeah, these are realistic. Some Radio Shack? Yeah, yep, total Radio Shack. Um, my dad had these for some reason. I don't. I don't know what he used them for. Probably he, record Bible verses, <laughs> right? Um, but basically, like like you just said, it's an RCA male going to a uh, quarter inch a male, all both mono. These things got the heck used out of them because oh, yeah. I would line out of that board into yeah. the uh, cassette deck. So that recording that we did, we lined it into just a standard stereo cassette deck. Yeah. Um, and got basically it's room sound. And uh, and then so that's how we got that recording, um, and then we we ended up doing another. Uh, so then so then you came on board, and I remember like while you were getting your equipment together, you were kind of hanging out with us. 
You're kind of like the mascot at that point. <laughs> I think I might have been. You're like a band mascot. And then and, and then right before you got the recording, we, we did this recording. Unfortunately, I don't have the uh, recordings here in front of me. I, you know what? I, the funny thing is, like, I technically, if, if you're interested in hearing it, um, oh, let's see here. If it, would you want to hear a little sample of it? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Um, is this with the BC Rich? No, no, this is actually you. You weren't on this one. Oh, okay. um, this is right before you oh, hopped I, on. I, okay, I remember this now. You yeah. might have been there during the recording. Like maybe you were helping me. I don't know. Um, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. This is right before. Because, dude, I I don't know. If, I don't. Should I spoil it? I don't know if it's. Even yeah, go for it. Well, I remember, like, dude. I think I wanted to join the band, so I'm like, I think I asked you, like, hey man, do you need another guitarist? Right. And you're like, I don't know. Let me. I gotta. I gotta talk to the band. So you had to t- basically talk go, to Jason. Go to, go go do some negotiating. <laughs> you had to go talk to Jason and, and Caesar. <laughs> um. But yeah, I. I mean, I remember back then. I was excited to have you in. Um. But uh, I don't know. What do you think would be a good one? Do you think a green, well, green door? Uh, it's her- that one's that one is horrible. Um. You know, I. It's funny because I kind of like that song. Okay, so we'll play a sample of that. But um. I like self desire too. That was a good one. Yeah, so this is a we'll play a quick sample of Green Door. Unfortunately, the I I mic to see I remember this. I remember this. We we did two sessions. And on this session we recorded Green Door and I remember I mic'd Caesar's guitar with one of those high impedance microphones. Oh. And oh my god, there is this annoying oh, you'll hear it. Oh, like a squeal. Yeah. Can you hear it? Yeah. And then he had that that Fender reverb. <laughs> that made he had Oh yeah, Jesus! <laughs> now, now remember, we're we're all fifteen year old kids here. This is not, you know, we we weren't we weren't some like Hollywood, yeah. you know, outfit or something. Um, listen to Caesar chugging away. Yeah. Speaking of chugging away, it, it, it sounds like a Mack truck, like coming. It, does, it sounds good. I, coming I like down, it. coming down the fifteen. <laughs> And, and that, like I said, that was right before you came on. Um, but we, we did do a better session, and it was, um, uh, what do you think? Uh, Love Letters might be a good one. <laughs> Something a little more friendly. Ugh. This one didn't sound too bad, actually. Oh, I remember this now, yeah. So you can hear the snare. You could tell that I switched out the mics. Yeah. And used the the good Radio Shack mic with Caesar's guitar, so he's got like this nice full sound. That's the delay, by the way. Yeah, I remember this. So, so Ron's singing into the horrendous delay. Very funny, very funny. But yeah, that was right before you hopped in. It sounds very late eighties. It does. It, it does sound. It sounds period correct. <laughs> yeah, and I have some insight on that. We'll we'll get we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, so then you got in, and we have our friend. Uh, we had another friend at the time, uh, Patrick, and Patrick. Um, he uh he actually recorded this because he was he's a recording enthusiast too, and he actually got um a soundboard. I think. Yeah, he had a soundboard. 
and he got some SM57s, which is like that's yeah. like the, that's the that's the dream, that's right? Gold standard, yeah. Yeah, you, like if you got SM57s, you're like in the club. And, and he, we and, did not have them. And he had a, I think he had a reel to reel, didn't he? He ended up getting a reel to reel after that. Was it an eight channel or something like that? I think it was an eight channel. So, so the way that we did it, it was we pulled the, I, if I remember this right, we we pulled in the equipment together. Uh, Pat Patrick showed up with his his mics and board and we ran them into the uh t- into the Fostex recorder that we were recording with we had a Fostex oh, four track okay, yeah and then that um so this one uh so what I did was I t- and you're on this recording you're you're um you and Caesar are both playing alongside each other on this and I thought you know I thought Pat did an, a phenomenal job recording this so anyway here's here's the um here's kind of like a medley of the songs You'll notice the quality. It's much better. Yeah. Yeah, the snare drum, you know. I can hear the crate. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another song. Grand door, yeah. And, and we actually got a lot better uh, playing. You you can hear the play playability a little better. Well, it helps. I think we used to practice like twice a week, didn't we? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know, it was very very um. We started off very heavy metal, and then we ended up sounding like uh, I don't know, Inland Empire punk. <laughs> But you know, this was like before NoFX and all those guys. Well, that was like that was like when crossover was kind of happening. Yeah, and and I guess bands like NoFX probably existed, but they were like just starting off. Yeah, uh, like the Spanky's Cafe scene hadn't really started yet. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but like, okay, so when we did, we we've been talking about it a little bit, but like the the methods we use, like you know, on the first recording, you know, we mic'd up the room and you know we got more like a room sound on that first one and then of course uh patrick shows up with his gear um and really added uh and and you know he was he was good at what he did um so two thumbs up for uh for his work on that i mean i mean we were literally kids yeah and uh i think personally that sounded better than a lot of demos that oh, were circulating sure. around oh yeah um i i just you know a lot of ways i, I kind of wish we just knew what we had because hindsight's 2020 right, right. <laughs> i mean had we known that all you had to do is just basically take that mix down to some mastering engineer and cut the guy like a couple hundred dollars you probably could have had a really good demo yeah but um too little too late but anyway the the music wasn't uh, quite where i wanted it to be anyway um but you know this so we did that for a while and then we you know we kind of morphed a couple times in the band and then off you know and then of course off to the uh military we went <laughs> so you we, you kind of mentioned like you wanted to get out of um uh San Bernardino and I, I don't know if I told you about this but um I was not gonna leave I, I was originally deciding you know what I'm just gonna work really hard over at KFC maybe I can get a management slot work my butt off and then then uh then I ended up my, my car was broken down, <laughs> and then I ended up uh on a bus. I c- I couldn't go I couldn't walk home because the 
the party scene. <laughs> I, I was always having people stop to offer me rides uh-huh. as I was walking home, so I could I, I had to take the bus. Wait, was this the the KFC on the Highland? Yeah, way downtown. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was inland. Oh, you worked at that one. In, inland Street or oh, wait, Show Road. Worked, I thought you worked at Wendy's there. No, that was a different time. No, Wendy's, yeah, Wendy's was on Highland. That was when you were 15 or something. Yeah, we. my sister helped me on that one. We lied about my age <laughs> to, yeah. to get in there. Yeah, that was that was kind of a cool deal. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, San Bernardino just has some really raunchy areas. Dude, it does. And uh, we were, I was down there on Orange Show Road in Inland or whatever street that was oh, over yeah, there. Yeah. And yeah, that, like I said, you know, you, you you couldn't you couldn't walk home without being harassed. And so, um, I'm on the bus and there's like this guy and he's like picking his nose and he's wiping it on the window and there's a woman talking to herself and you know, and there's a guy in the back with a ghetto blaster and he's like blaring music that I'd never heard. And I, at that point, like the bus stops and I look up and I see the, uh, the army recruiting sign on East street. Okay. Yeah. I just start yanking on the, <laughs> on the little thing. Ring, 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 ring. And the, Let me in. the bus driver like just slams on the brakes. Like I was just going to stop at the next stop. I jump out, I go upstairs and I walk in and I'm like, I need to get out of town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I need to leave now. To a point where I was so anxious to leave, I went on that thirty-day delayed entry. Yeah, they actually, uh, the my my old recruiter Trevor Malone, Staff Sergeant Trevor Malone, awesome guy, did not lie to me. Uh, pulled me aside with another recruiter and they asked me if I was in trouble <laughs> <laughs> because I was so anxious to get out. They literally like were scared I like owed somebody money or like <laughs> with this like people after me. So anyway, uh, kind of like a funny little insight on that. But uh, we ended up leaving for the military at that point, and um, well, you were with you were with our other buddy Brent, right? Yeah, because you guys were like, pal- you guys were uh, I don't know what the army calls it, but like when you go when you can like enlist with your buddy. Yeah, we we were talking about doing that, but we we didn't. Oh, I see. He he went to military police. Uh, he ended up like at Fort Stewart, Georgia, and I ended up at uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and. Yeah, I just bounced around a lot after yeah. that. Um, but I, like, there's not a whole lot of like interesting stuff. Like, I didn't go to the Indian Ocean. I didn't <laughs> I went to Fort Hood, Texas. But we could talk a little bit about that after. Uh, we'll, we'll we will talk a little bit about that because we're going to talk about more music stuff. But anyway, um, it's this this uh, this whole thing of you know going into the going into the military. Um, changed a lot on how we were looking at audio in general because remember this whole podcast is about audio and so for me I was like I was not going to stop doing audio you know I was going to continue um, I was going to continue recording stuff and you were thinking the same way right yeah. like, I wasn't going to let anything stop me and uh you ended up being stationed at Luke Air Force Base, and I ended up at, uh, well, I ended up at Louisiana originally, and then made my way over to uh, Fort Fort Hood, uh, Texas. And then that's when things uh, happened for me. Um, I started recording stuff again, and I, unfortunately, I don't, th- those recordings didn't survive. But this little recorder here. So I was going to talk a little bit about some methods that we were doing because, like, that was the challenge, right? You're were you living in the barracks at Fort? Yeah, I was. I was living in. We called it the dorms. 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> I was Air Force, so we, <laughs> we have the dorms, okay? So yeah, I lived in the dorms, and I went to the BX, and I picked up a Yamaha four-track recorder. Oh, you had the Yamaha. That thing was, that was a, that was a good unit. I still have it, as a matter of fact. So let's sample that. Let's let's sample your your Yamaha, and I have to tell you, I when you started doing this stuff, I was so proud of what you were doing. Uh, here, let's just hear this. Can't listen to that noise. <laughs> yeah, part of it's uh, my master. <laughs> so noisy. I love it. I like noise. What what when you say it's noisy, like what noise are you talking about? I can hear like the hum. Oh yeah, yeah. But you you did this by yourself. Yeah. Well, um, and I also say noisy because this remember this is like the early '90s, so it wasn't clean rock. It was grungy, yeah, dirty rock. Listen to that. So I was just trying to be as noisy as possible with the the chords and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I just love that noise. Um, so yeah, and I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit what I think about that song. So I, I like that song a lot. I hear Mud Honey, Dinosaur Jr. I hear, um, I hear Brian for sure. <laughs> it, like you had your own, you, you definitely had your own, uh, cl- uh color to it. Really interesting. It, yeah. It, it, so- it sounded like you, um, and I, I was like, when, when you showed that to me, I was really proud of it. I, I was like, man, that's that's like my guy. That's what that's like what he's doing now. He, cool. we had been doing all this different stuff uh, before we left, and I was really afraid going in the military. I was just never going to do this. Um, but in reality, I was able to. We were still able to do this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, I only thank companies like Yamaha, Tascam, Fostex, and stuff like that because. They they made it very easy at the customer, you know. To, they reached out to the consumers yeah. with the with these different systems. Um, but yeah, let let's talk for a second uh, about how you went and did that because I don't oh, yeah. I don't really know how you did it, dude. It's okay, it's, dude. I, so I I bought a Boss drum machine, the DR eight eighty, I think is what it is. Okay, and it was really cool. So I figured out how to use the drum machine and program songs. That's I mean I spent so much time program programming songs, so I was really good at it. And I was trying to make it sound realistic. I, I didn't want my whole intent was not. I was trying to keep like a, a good, crisp, realistic drum sound. So I'd like even tune the the drums inside the the Boss drum set. Okay, yeah, you can tell. And then um, the guitar. I had that. Oh, I had that. Remember, I don't even remember, but I had that Fender twin amp. Yes, I remember. And I think I ran my DoD distortion. <laughs> I think I think my wife in the photos, she has a picture of you playing on that amp with a guild yeah and that might have been the guild i ran it through which i love that guitar i still have it yeah and i i bought a pv microphone it was oh it was to me it was a cool microphone it was like the the best microphone i had at that point i had there's a pv microphone i bought it used and i didn't know back then but um i needed i needed some way to amplify the microphone sound into the four track so i used my distortion pedal aha uh-huh. okay so isn't to, that weird to, to like get a good sound out of my vocals i just cranked up the distortion to get it louder so back then did you understand the concept of preamps no i didn't know that a microphone had to have a preamp i didn't either <laughs> i didn't know i'm like 
Why is it so low? What the hell? I guess I'll just boost it with the distortion pedal. Isn't that sad? <laughs> and then I think a plug straight in. I might have plugged straight in with the for the bass. Okay. And then, and then I think what I did was at some point I figured I could mix down everything from four track to two track, and then onto another tape, and then I put that back into the four track, and then I had two more tracks to go. All right. Well, it it sounded it, like when I heard it, it was phenomenal. Like, I, what year did you record that? That was probably nineteen ninety four. Yeah, that's that's the same thing. Same year that I was doing little things. Yeah. So here's another one that you did. Uh, another uh, you've you've done you did quite a few of those songs, but I, I just pulled these little samples out. But this is the other one you did. Oh yes. Hear the distortion. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's divor- distortion on your voice. Yeah. Very dynamic for a drum machine. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. The middle the middle part of the song is my favorite part of the song. I, I may have I may not have it in here. <laughs> Before it fades out. Yeah, right it's gonna fade, I think. Right here. Yeah, you want me to I could hunt around and find it. Because I, I, <laughs> I pulled it away. Yeah, so you're talking about dynamics. I mean, I was also kind of learning how to write songs. So I was trying to go for my whole approach, I guess, was like silent, aggressive, silent, like kind of have a dynamic in, yeah. in the volume of the music too. I should have pulled that. I should have played that part. I was afraid of it just being too long of a clip. Yeah, that's oh. all right. But yeah, you know, you know the, the guitar, the bass... And the drums together, you know what they sound like? I've always thought this. I don't know if I told you this before, but you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the original um, Ozzy Blizzard of Oz. Oh, really? It's got like this this really cool uh, blend of the of the of the guitars. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's like a mid range or something on the guitar uh, combined with your bass sound. Yeah, it, it's got like a like a Blizzard of Oz type of so, sound to so it. So my approach. Um I learned this from you actually, because you used to always turn the bass up on our recordings. <laughs> like more bass, more because you're a bass player, more right? Bass. Yeah, <laughs> more bass. How biased can you get? So I was like, "There's something to that, though, because when you record bass and guitar, my my idea was to kind of have them meld together. Like right. I, my approach was, the bass is going to be the foundation of the sound, and then the guitar is going to be like the raspiness of it. Yeah, and then. I was hoping to sort of blend the two together where you couldn't really tell, like you want to hear both. Right. But there, I didn't want there to be a separation between them. Yeah. You did, you did a really good job with it. And that, the whole, the whole thing about the, the bass too. Um, I, I remember <laughs> doing that with the bass, but a lot of it comes down to, um, two things. Number one, that and justice for all record, <laughs> That just made every bass player I know. Like, cringe, like, angry, <laughs> pissed. Yeah. Every bass player was like, Mo bass, <laughs> I'm going to kill you if you don't put bass on. Right. That poor Jason Newstead, that poor guy. <laughs> I feel so bad for him. But um but the the um the the other thing too is like there was like this uh and we'll, we're gonna talk about it later, but um, you know, when I was younger, you know, there was just a lot of like bass in the house with the with the music that was played, a lot of low end bass sounds. And I didn't hear that in a lot of like the 
because when we were playing hair metal was like the music yeah and hair metal just lacked bass right yeah like it, it just it was always kind of like this i don't know it was like high end it was like it was high end and midi yeah so and, and then so while you were doing that and the interesting thing was is come 94 or whatever i'd already kind of stopped throwing so much bass on everything so this recording i did with my brother in 94 uh, right around the same time that you were doing the stuff you were doing. I, I don't know if you ever heard this. I don't think you did because I haven't really showed anybody much of this. But anyway, this is something that we were both working on. Talk about distortion. Okay. <laughs> My brother plays kind of fast. Is that your is that your brother on, bass, uh, on guitar? Drums. Oh, really? I thought that was you. No, it was my brother. Those are the type of fills that you always do. So yeah, that was uh, something that I was working on at the time, um, and uh, that that recording was recorded in Colleen uh, on my Tascam Porta Studio. Mm. That's this guy right here. Oh yeah, looks kind of like your Yamaha. Yeah, really cool little unit. Um, but we recorded it on there, and and the way we did it was uh, we rented a uh, a uh, storage facility and hung cardboard mm. throughout the we we put cardboard on the walls, and then we actually hung some cardboard around to kind of deaden the sound a little more because it echoed a lot but actually it, it came out okay the the tape uh, the tape wasn't the tape isn't in the best of shape unfortunately so it's mm. a little kind of there's a little bit of like it's, it's like kind of could use like maybe a treble boost or something ah. um but anyway that that um you know we we were doing pretty good but then the, there was an unfortunate robbery and uh i lost oh. everything yeah and 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 so it slowed me down but you know here we are today um we've moved on we've done other things um and i you know so since then, you know what's really interesting is we mentioned Brent. We I was still doing four track stuff with Brent in two thousand two. Oh, when he moved so back two thousand one or something like that. Because he moved out here from San Bernardino, right? Yeah, about about that time. Yeah, and we were still using four that same Tascam right there was still oh, wow. being used. I mean, that's what I like about these like old Tascam units and stuff. They they never like they never go out of like they never phase away there yeah. you could use it now we could go out and record with it now uh which and and so so that's what i was going to ask you about you know so a lot of developments happened since then um you had uh well the dream for me was to be able to get a hold of an eight track cassette recorder yes. that like that was expensive Dude, so i remember when those came out I was like, like what like you had to mortgage the house Dude, for that i can't afford six hundred dollars <laughs> but i remember like i would you know, and I was stationed in uh, Texas at the time. You can go to Austin, and I would thumb through some of like magazines and stuff out there. And there was a critique on these eight-track cassettes, saying that it was dividing the tape, that it was slicing the tape too thin. Yeah, yeah. And so there was a lot of like, if you recorded on it, the the sound would degrade very fast. Oh. 
Was there was there like bleed between channels? Maybe I don't I don't know. But it, it like you know you know how it divides yeah the the tape into little slices yeah, smaller slices yeah and so the the I I don't I don't even know the size of a tape cassette tape but I mean like a quarter inch reel is I think it's I think quarter it's, inch I think it's eighth inch like eighth inch and you're dividing yeah. that you're yeah, dividing that eight, into eight yeah. <laughs> so um on one hand I wanted one really really bad but then on the other hand I kind of was thinking maybe it might not work but um that was kind of short lived I think because then they went into ADAT and I don't know if you ever even touched ADAT well remember that that recording we did with Dan yes he recorded remember we recorded real real he had a he had an eight track real player yes real, okay real. so that was eight track and I think he re- and I want to say there was eight that involved too but I don't I don't remember he had MIDI I'm not sure if we used it but I feel like it was in the it was in the, his studio yeah he had it he had MIDI and um yeah maybe some ADAT or something in there and the the MIDI he he would he would record the microphones he he acoustically mic'd everything up right yeah but then it would take the acoustic i would love to research that uh take the acoustic mics convert it to midi right maybe i I don't know i don't know how he did it he had a he had an audio workstation and there was like little dots on the screen that would ref that would show the hits of the drums and then he triggered the, the drums were not the true drums oh i didn't know that yeah they were triggered oh i didn't realize he was so advanced yeah, he he. You want to talk about a Zappa guy? That guy really liked Zappa a lot. Um, <laughs> I thought he was cool though. I mean, he, he seemed cool, and he. I, I think that recording was, it was a lot. I think it was more. I think at that time we were still kind of like in our punk rock phase. Yeah, we we could have probably done better by maybe. And I think he was trying to make it like Warner Brothers quality, and we're like, that's not really what we're looking for. We just want something raw and like something that just kicks it, you know. Yeah, and then. Talking a little bit about that, I, I kind of wasn't digging the direction of songwriting. I was starting to, like, I was starting to. We we were doing this whole thing of like doing the sound effects and the music, yeah. and, and it it's really funny. So it's like Mr. Bungle and John exactly. Zorn. Yeah, it, it was very impressive, but it kind of wears on you kind of quick, yeah. huh? Like after a while, I, I've got I, I've got a Reverb Nation page where I recorded like three songs that are heavily influenced by that, and after I did it. I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, I, I think it was like a moment in music. Seems like it was a moment in music history where it was kind of like that was a phase for about a year. Yeah, and then after that, I was like, okay, we're done now. We're done. Uh, yeah, we know what it sounds like uh, when you have a guitar and a train playing together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, but but so we were kind of doing that, and it just it just wasn't working for me. And then on top of that, the money issue, you know, ten bucks short of being homeless all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I did not feel ready to go into a studio like that with a guy like Dan. Dan was very advanced. Um, I was very amateur. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you, you're right. He might've been using some ADAT or something in there. Um, but then, uh, you know, fast forward. So, so that kind of like became the thing. ADAT kind of became the thing. And I, there was a music store out in Mesa that's definitely been shut down for over 20 years. And I was going in and out of this place and I was still doing four track. And I was talking to a guy that worked there and he was telling me he was doing ADAT. And I said, well, how can I get into ADAT? And he's like, well, here's the thing. ADAT's about to go away. Uh, this was like in 2000, 2001, maybe. He's like, it's, it's about to be gone. It's a waste of your money. There's this new system coming out 
And this is what he talked about, the Aardvark Pro Q10. Hmm. He's like, uh, stay tuned. We're going to be getting some. Yeah. And they were 1200 bucks a piece. Yeah. yeah. They were a little pricey. Um, but he's like, that's the future. <laughs> so Cindy and I put our pennies, started saving our pennies, got one of these. You saw it. I think I think you I think I might have handed one off to you after a while. Yeah. So so I started out about the same time, two thousand one. I was at Travis, and I bought one of those M Audio PCI card interfaces with all the the breakout cables. Oh, okay. That so, was my first. And then I was looking to upgrade to a ten to a ten channel or something like that. And you're like, well, I have this Aardvark that I have two. I think you had two of them. Yeah, I had two of them. Like I'll give you one. I'm like, what? You're gonna give me one? Because I think maybe you were getting something else. I don't remember. Yeah, I was getting into the uh, M Audio, whatever it was. Was it the Delta 1010? Maybe Delta, Delta 1010. Yeah, yeah. That was it. So I had the I had the cheapo version, and you're like, you upgraded your one upper, so you upgraded. Oh, I got one. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm hanging onto this one. Like I'm not letting go of that. So I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that Ardvark. Hell yeah, because this is like that was my dream too. Like I needed to yeah. advance to like, yeah, I wanted more channels too. Cause like back then I was hoping to like record drums and all that stuff. So you needed more channels. So you got, you gave me the aardvark and then you, you end up giving me the other aardvark. I had two of them. Oh, did I give you the other one? I, I okay. think you gave them both to me. Oh, cause I think the one broke event. It, it, it eventually yeah, two died. channels went on it. Yeah. It died out. And then, so I used the other one and then at some point I, I, yeah. So I, I moved on from those. Yeah. The, it, it was the first one in the line, right? Um, it was a leap for sure and that they they couldn't maintain support because the and this is where i have odds with digital audio workstations um i i jumped on board D, daws you know you and i both became kind of like a so, sonar enthusiast yeah. oh, yeah. right we started with guitar tracks pro did you get guitar tracks pro that was like the first one they did i don't cakewalk i don't remember um maybe i don't maybe they had cakewalk guitar that sounds, tracks that sounds familiar yeah they had cakewalk guitar tracks and then they came out with Guitar Tracks Pro. Oh, of course. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So Guitar Tracks, uh, like Guitar Center, somebody at Guitar Center recommended it to me because I told them I had this Aardvark Pro. Yeah. Uh, hey, I need something to run it on. So you you couldn't run Pro Tools on it. So I went to Guitar Center and I said, oh, "Look, I've got this system," and and they're like, "Oh yeah, here's Guitar Tracks," and it was like forty bucks. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, I get an advertisement. Guitar Tracks Pro. <laughs> What's Guitar Tracks Pro? From eight tracks to sixteen tracks. Just give us sixty nine dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so, what? Sixty nine more dollars. I've got sixteen tracks. Like, who's going to argue with sixteen tracks? Right. So then, um, and then uh, after that, uh, Sonar comes out, and that was like I don't know, like three hundred ninety nine dollars or some crazy was amount. That, of was money. that was was that Cakewalk? I don't remember. Yeah, it was all Cakewalk. Yeah, I liked Cakewalk. Yeah, I loved it. It's like my favorite of all time. Um, and then, uh, so then I had that aardvark, um, and then, uh, I ended up getting the M audio Delta 10 tens, uh, invested in pro tools and pro tools did not work on windows systems very well. And it would fail. I was recording a band. They were paying me money and the whole stupid thing failed now. And they had to go home for the night while I rebuilt my computer. It seems like, do you think pro tools was overhyped? Definitely. Yeah, because it seems to me like all the big, all the big studios use them. Yeah, but I tried using Pro Tools once, and it's like it's very cumbersome. It's cumbersome. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem very intuitive. Yeah, Sonar was like the yeah. The Sonar best. seemed way more intuitive to me. 
And this one that I showed you earlier today, Reaper, is very similar to Sonar. Mm. And of course, it runs on Linux. It'll run on everything. And it's all uh, donation-based. So yeah. uh, I bought the license for 60 bucks. I think, you know, I think Cakewalk has come back. Yeah, I like Gibson owned them for a while and then they sold again. And I, yeah, you're right. I, somebody, somebody at work told me. Yeah, I think it's like an independent. I don't, I don't know. I, hmm. <clears throat> I'm locked into Reaper now. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't. As you know, I don't use. Uh, I don't. I don't use uh, Digital Workstations a whole lot anymore. I, I I do use them to manipulate the files, and then I load them right back into the. Uh, and the, and really, the problem with this Tascam unit here. So this is a DP32 SD. Mm. It's wonderful, except you can't. <laughs> this board does not have inserts. Oh, I can't put compression on them. Yeah. So how do you compress them? Before. Well, load, them, load them into the... Well, you could compress oh, as you record. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, or you could do what I've been doing, and I just... There's an SD card. Uh, oh, so you just run into your DAW and then compress it there? Yeah. Throw it in there, compress it, and throw gotcha. it back. And you can edit the files, right? You can get rid of the noise, and then... So then you're back to mixing here again. Yeah. And there's an EQ built into it. So now, why do you like the Tascam over the DAW? Um, my problem with the DAW is the you know mixing with a mouse mm. is that is that making me old <laughs> <laughs> get off my lawn the, the kids the, the kids the, they're okay with the mouse <laughs> um i i don't know there's something about i don't know there's something about the the Tascam that i get along with better uh, oh oh here here's the other one so see how like you know we're cataloging the aardvark pro got phased away because yeah. the technology went out and then so you're forced to go buy new units. And then, so you would PCI, then you went to PCIe. Yeah. And then after PCIe, they phased all those out. Right, true. Then it went to USB. No, it went to FireWire. Oh, yeah, and you had FireWire. 400 and then 800. Yeah, and it just seems like yeah. they're asking for, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 bucks. And yeah. then now the Mac computers, they've, like, uh, they're running themselves into the ground, the, uh, the software updates. Yep. So I just... I finally just threw my hands up and I went to Sam Ash about five years ago and I walked in. <laughs> Unfortunately, I get a little extreme <laughs> and I walked into Sam Ash and I said, I hate digital audio workstations. I want something that has no computer at all. <laughs> Guy's like, I got something for you. And uh, he sold me this one and it, it's, it's been, it's been awesome uh, since then, but you're right. I mean, you're, you're going to find yourself working with a DAW whether you like it or not. <clears throat> uh, I mean, you could, you could record and, but when you mix down, I've like listened to a lot of mixes yeah. of these and they're very demo-y sounding. Yeah. Which so. I mean, isn't necessarily a bad thing. No. And that's, a, that's another thing, right? Um, as hobbyists, right. Yeah. We're like, we have to understand the element that we live in. And I think back in the day, yeah, we're like, okay, we're good. we got this four track recorder. We got some Radio Shack microphones, and we're gonna make it sound like Warner. <laughs> Warner came in and did this thing, and it was very disappointing, right? Yeah, impossible. Yeah, and if we would have just known the element and said, you know what? Because like, I'm trying to think of some recordings. Uh, so like Led Zeppelin, obviously, is a good example. They didn't rely on studios. You know, they would. Hey, stick a mic over there and see what happens. Yeah. Well, they also had really good compression. You know, they, they had they had good tools. They had very good tools. And yeah, that helped them along the way. But I yeah, mean, they, they were using Newman mics and awesome compression and yeah. But you know, uh, like a good engineer that we love a lot is Jack and Dino. Yeah. And Jack and Dino was the sub pop guy. 
And I, I was watching an interview with him about 10 years ago and they asked him, well, how did you get started? And he's like, well, I'm an electrician by trade. So he's like home, home electrician, yeah. uh, 110 volt, whatever. He, um, he said, you know, I just started recording bands on the side. So I like, I, uh, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I bought some microphones and I, and I understand signal flow. And so I was just, re- he was like recording bands in weird places. And obviously Jack and Dino, uh, talk about people one up and like Jack and Dino's <laughs> like a genius. Right. And so he, he kind of knew his element and he, he did some amazing recordings back then. Absolutely. Like he did, uh, obviously the mud honeys. Uh, did he do a Reverend Horton Heat record originally? Did he ever do any of their stuff? Because like they were on Sub Pop. They were on Sub Pop. I don't know if he recorded them. Um, but he recorded like, um, uh, uh, like I said, the the Mud Honey. Um, he did Bleach. Uh, did, he did Bleach, right? He did Bleach. Yeah, yeah he did Bleach. Um, uh, he he did a bunch of other ones that I'm just drawing blanks on, but like he Melvins. Yeah, he did Melvins. Melvins. Tad. Tad, that was the one I was thinking. Yeah. And and he ended up doing one of my favorite recordings of all time. He did um uh Zeke's Till the Living End. Mm. That is a killer album with a killer recording. And yeah, Jack and Dino just knows like what he's doing. Yeah. Um and if I if I would have known uh, maybe I should have just been an electrician back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but but that that was um uh, like he's a good example of like people that know their element, like and and uh, if we, I think if we would have really known our element and, and cause some of these recordings, you know, uh, like here's a good example. So uh, I recorded this band. Um, I can't remember the name right now. There were a group of kids. They were punkers. They weren't emo. They, in fact, they hated the emo. They used to, they used to like want to punch the emo kids. Um, they came and recorded with me. And I remember telling them, if you want to do a good recording, uh, get a good, get a boom box, stick it in the center of the floor, press pause. I mean, press, press record and record your record your rehearsal and then listen to it. Yeah. Cause people are still cassette taping 20 plus years ago. Yeah. And so these guys did exactly what I said. And, and I said, and can you give me a copy of the tape? Because, um, I'd like to listen to it a few times before I record you. So they did just that. And I remember listening to the tape. I'm like, man, this thing sounds nice. <laughs> I was like, this really sounds nice. That little boom box, that boom box microphone. Oh, they were called the prosthetics. That was their band. That was so funny. Yeah. They were called the prosthetics. So those guys came and recorded and they did a really good job. Their drummer uh, was in the marching band. So you can imagine like, uh, how, <laughs> like he held the whole band together. Yeah. They were really good. Um, after I was done recording them, I love that boom box recording. They did so much that I sat down and I pushed it into cakewalk and oh, I really, yeah, and I, I tweaked it a little bit, and I gave them a copy. And you know what they were doing with that thing? They took it, they made CDs out of it, and they throw them to the crowd as a as like a sampler. Oh, that's cool. So they, were, <laughs> so they were, um, they they actually used that to their advantage. Uh, but like that recording, I, I wish I had a copy. I have I have like a bunch of CDs in a box somewhere, and like that recording, like I still to this day say it was better than the one I did for them. But like that's a good example of like knowing your element. Yeah, and. Um, and we had some moments in time, I think, where we did that. Um, uh, but yeah, so um, with this, so you, I, I mean, technically, you're still doing digital audio workstation right now, right? Yeah, I'm, so I'm working, um, I just, I started using Studio One. So I, I run Studio One 6 right now. And it's good because I have, I brought it with me today, but I have the Universal Audio Oxbox. 
So I always felt like my miking techniques lacked. And the aux box is not only a, it's a load box for your amplifier. Oh, okay. But you know, everyone, every, if you don't know, if everyone who's listening to this doesn't know, then it also has like IRs, <clears throat> has like an IR suite built into it. And the cool thing about the aux box is it has physical knobs that you can turn on the outside. Right. So IR real quick is, um, I got the actual description of it. Um, so what we're describing is virtualization. Yeah. Uh, virtualization uh, is software-based um, instruments, effects, processing to replicate sounds of physical hardware like synthesizers, amplifiers, analog gear, um, making it cost-effective so that we can do things that we like to do and do it in, a, in your house. Right. And, and we mentioned the IR files, which are impulsive response. And uh, they, they have different ones. They have cabinet simulation and they have room simulation. So those are created by capturing the response of a speaker cabinet with a short burst of audio known as an impulse. And then the room files are done very similar. Right. Um, they, uh, the acoustic characteristics of a particular room are acoustic space, and they're created by cap- capturing the response of the room with an impulsive sound, such as a clap or a gunshot. Right. So, yeah, it's just a digital snapshot of the profile of that speaker through its frequency range. And then yeah. it, you can basically replicate it, you know, by and- using your app. And so, yeah, so I've got on the, st- on the screen here Studio One. That is a pretty impressive suite. That, that's pretty nice looking. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of Cakewalk a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's gorgeous. There's, there's a little, you know, there's a bit of a learning curve. Room it, design. Because there's so much that you can do with it. I mean, you can even bring in like, um, say if you have a sloppy drummer and you want to tighten him up a little bit, mm-hmm. you can basically just... You know, you could fix his timing issue. Do they call it quantitizing? Yeah, you can quantize, yeah. Okay. Well, you can quantize and then you can move individual pieces if you want. Uh, but there's also a way, they, there's a, they have a, a software bundle you can buy extra called Melandine. Mm-hmm. And you can, Melandine, you can adjust the frequencies of like vocalists if they're kind of out of tune. It's kind of like auto-tune. I mean, yeah. I guess it kind of- Yeah, like, like auto-tune. I, I guess, it, not that I, yeah. Well, it, it works in both frequencies and time. Yeah. So you can auto-tune somebody, which I think auto-tune is kind of, you know, a lot of people use it too much, I think. Yeah. But if a person, well, I guess one. Subtly, use subtle version of it. Yeah, if it's very subtle, that's fine. But if, you're, if your singer is way out of time or tuned, then maybe you should practice more, you know, like just be a better <laughs> singer. But, you know, sometimes sometimes drummers, you know, they, they're not in their groove sometimes. So maybe you want to tighten them up a bit. Yeah. And, and I think it depends on the music too, right? Yeah, so that unit that you have there, um, that's called... Uh, the ox box. The ox box. Yeah, let me grab it. That thing is cool. This thing, like, I, I'm going to have to post links to these on the uh, show notes. So there's a bunch of low boxes kind of like this. Sure makes one. Um, Capdirex makes one. They're all kind of the same kind of thing. But basically, it just it's a, it's a load box, but it also has the capability to store IRs. So... Take a look at it. Yeah, this thing, this thing is just. I I feel like I'm holding a like a tube head. Yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's very cool, and it looks. It has a very sleek, not not sleek. Uh, it's got a very like um. Sixties, look to it maybe. Yeah. Like a sixties seventies kind of cool. It's 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 beautiful, and it's like steel. <laughs> it's got a steel base to it. Um. So some of the controls on the back are um, you have a line out 
And so, and so you have uh, what you call from the from the amplifier. So, like you had to kind of like explain this to me before. From the amplifier, it's got a red. Um, it's got a red. It's it's painted red. It's got a red bolt around it, and basically that's telling you it's hot. Yeah. And you're you literally line your amplifier out into that thing. Well, and and yeah. Your output, your speaker out. Yeah, your speaker out goes directly into this. And this thing is so powerful and robust, it will handle... A 100 watt head. Like, yeah. like, I dare you to plug your amplifier output into a cassette deck. Oh, so I, I also <laughs> and have see a, what happens. So I have a JCM 800, and I, I crank the JCM 800 into this thing, and it handles it fine. Yeah, and then, and then the cool thing is it acts as a man in the middle, so it exits back out um, to your speaker. Yeah. So it'll it'll you could run this thing and your speaker will be like still your speaker basically won't know right that you've got a man in the middle or you can yeah or there's a function on there where you can like you said if you're running it to your speaker cabinet you can completely dial down the speaker cabinet volume on the front panel and just plug it directly into your DAW and just hear it coming out of your DAW yeah and that that's really cool too because um like if you're recording in your house and you want that loud speaker like the, like a, like if you're if yeah if you want that tube amp breakup yes that you would get out of a tube amp you can crank it or get the volume or the sound that you want and then you just replicate that ir sound of the speaker breaking up in the daw yeah and then you simply just turn this speaker volume down and then everybody in the house is happy they can still watch the uh, reruns of the brady bunch <laughs> and 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 your line it, it, this is just a phenomenal piece of equipment it's it's amazing. And the um, thing is, this thing came out a few years ago, too. This is, I don't know when it came out exactly, probably 17 or something, 16, 18. I don't know, but I bought it used. Um, oh, you, you got this used. Okay. Yeah, I bought it used. Because I think when they when they came out, they're like 15 or 1600 bucks. And I think I paid $900 for it, a thousand maybe at the most. I bet they're more now. No, they're they're less now because this it's an old it's an old unit. Oh, okay. So I think they're being phased out, which is the thing. That's the thing. so that's what you're talking about with Daw before is like you kind of got to keep up just to keep doing. Yeah. it, You know, that's why like when I when I work with stuff, I try to make sure it's hardware based and not software based. Like right. this this has hardware, right? You can yeah yeah you can run this independent of a computer. Well, even if it wasn't in a computer, say I wanted to play a show, I can use that as a load box at a show. Yeah. So it's it's technically so at a minimum it's at least a load box. Yeah, and and you and you could you could plug this into this Tascam right here exactly. with without a computer. Right. So you, you in a way like right now you're gonna you're gonna you can program it to do what you want it to do. Like you you can set it. Yeah. So the UA has their they have their U, um their IRs loaded in there, and then you can go in with a tablet or you can sync it up to your tablet or your phone, and you can run the software through your phone to make small adjustments. So like speaker placement, yeah. or I mean a microphone placement. Okay, so here's microphones. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like um uh, what do you call pompous. So does it connect to Bluetooth? <laughs> I think it is Bluetooth. <laughs> I think it is. That's that's one of the issues. Is a lot of people like a lot of users say that they sometimes it, it breaks in and out. In other words, it sometimes it loses connection to your yeah. tablet. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't want to use it exclusively with Bluetooth. Um, you'd probably want to use your Bluetooth just to do the setting, right? Well, that's what I do. I, I basically make all the settings beforehand, and then I go. I say, okay, I know, I know what I want, and then I just kind of set. Yeah, that, that's just crazy. So, so uh, Doug Pinnock from P, from Kings X, the bass player. Yeah. Did you know that he has his own line of amps? 
No, I did not. Yeah, I forget the name. But anyway, I was listening to an interview with him, and he was telling me that, I don't know if he was using a unit kind of like this, but he's like, look, so Doug Pinnock employs a full-time engineer. Oh, wow. He's got a guy. It's like a doc. <laughs> he's got like a doctor, and he just dials the number, and this dude answers, and is like, "That's cool." Coming over to do, yeah. g- coming over to do some base stuff for you. But uh, <laughs> but he'll this guy. I don't know if he used tools like this, but uh, Doug Pinnock said that this guy knows his sound better than Doug Pinnock does. Huh. He's like, he's got me so dialed in. He just walks in, yeah. and it sounds like my amp. And um, he he's got like these this really cool um, bass rig. I, uh, Cindy and I, my wife Cindy, uh, we went and watched them play uh, right before the uh, crazy COVID madness. Mm. And um, of course, King's X is phenomenal. Yeah, but um, yeah, he's got like his own bass line. They're beautiful amplifiers, ultra expensive, mm. but um, it's it's got some type of studio uh, type of deal. We're like basically what you're doing with this is like you're you're taking your Mesa Boogie, yeah, and you're like you're like putting it under your arm <laughs> and you're you're bringing it in and it's like okay you're ready to record yeah. and it's like it, yeah, that's, it's so that, cool i mean it's essentially a speaker cabinet in a smaller package you know a speak is it speaker and an amp basically or do you still need to supply uh, an amp you need an amp yeah oh you do need the amp so okay. this one you need an amp yeah okay so you'd show up like with your head and yeah like i i was actually gonna bring my marshall to do a demo oh, okay but, but i forgot Oh, we'll have to do another episode. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot my brain. <laughs> nice. Um, well, that's really cool, man. That, that's, that's, and, and we've got a demo um, of you using it, right? Oh, yeah. The one I recorded this morning. Yeah, yeah so you did this, this real quick this morning, yeah. um, and uh, we'll, we'll play name that tune. Um, yeah. You'll, you'll never guess what it is. Let's see here. So real quick. Wait, pause it. So let me, let me introduce this. Okay, so this is... A, yeah. Everyone knows the song, but I didn't use this UA Lowbox. So this, there's no IRs in it. Well, there kind of are, right? Okay. So I went, I recorded this in Studio One. Oh, okay. And I and I downloaded, um, I downloaded, um, an amplifier package, like an amplifier suite. Oh, okay. So I'm running in. This is actually a, 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 a simulated Saldano amp. Okay. So they make they make Mesa Boogie Saldano. They make all you know JCM Hendrix. They make all the famous right. right? But you can tweak them. So you can basically, and it's the same thing as the IRs. You could adjust the virtual microphones on the cabinet. You can, so that's what this is. Yeah. This is a Saldano. Is, is it by any chance, is your plugin system, is it called IK Media? It's not IK. Okay, okay, never mind. Yeah. Not, not to go off, not to take you off the path there. No, so that's, that's all I use. I basically just plug straight in to my DAW and I pulled up. So that's native with Studio One? Uh, it's not native to Studio One. I, I, it's um who did I run it through? I'm trying to think, it's third party. Okay, no worries. Yeah. So, so so you're you're plugged straight into your uh your studio one. Yeah. So I just plugged straight into my DAW and I just adjusted my levels from the DAW, and then I adjusted the levels of the plugin. Okay, and okay, so we'll pl- we'll play some samples. Uh, we can turn it down and talk over it if you want a little bit, whatever you like. So anyway, this is uh this is you in action. Yeah. Notice I got the um, 
sorry. Yeah, notice notice I have the Charvel there. Yeah, you're playing a Char. What year is that Charvel? That's a 1987 Charvel. It's gorgeous. It, yeah. So I I bought it from a guy who lived in Japan. Hmm. It's a Japanese model. And this this clean port part is a it's a Telecaster. It's a it's a Warmoth Telecaster. It's beautiful. Mustard yellow. What year is that Tele? Uh, it's like it's a couple years old. It just looks vintage. Okay. Yeah, and you've got some kind of thing going on where you're able to video. This is a YouTube video. Um, and so you have, like, camera angles. It looks like you hired a crew to come in and, and record you. And <laughs> look at that. Head. Like They got, like, a little action shot on the side of you with, the, like, the Charvel. <laughs> Yo, it's just my iPhone. You did all that with your iPhone? Yeah, I did all this with the iPhone, and then I imported it into... Um, um, I have the Adobe Suite. Uh-huh. And then like a I, mobile version, huh? I, yeah. Well, yeah. I just used Premiere. Oh, okay. So I imported all the the video files into Premiere, and then I imported the audio from Studio One into Premiere, and synced it all up. It's crazy. Oh, here we go. We're, we're, on, we're on a hooky part. <laughs> Okay, so the the drums and stuff, how, how is that? Uh, <laughs> so the drums, I basically just pulled from YouTube. Oh, okay. So, so the drums and bass, somebody had cut out all the other instruments. Okay. And then I used a software called MP3. MP3 now. Uh, MP3, something like that. Yeah. Uh, iMedia, I think is what it is. Oh, okay. And then um, I downloaded it as an MP3, and then I uploaded it into Studio One. So the the track is is that's not is that Dave Lombardo playing? Yeah. Oh, dude, you're jamming with Lombardo. I am. Da- I am <laughs> the greatest metal drummer of all time. He, he literally is the best metal drummer. He I, I would I would definitely down. agree. Um. So, so this is really good, man. Like your playing is superb too. Thanks, dude. So that's just you. That there's no other there, there's no other uh, guitar players. Like oh, that's there's, it. there's no help from the other. And so the, somebody somehow isolated the track. Yeah, so I, you can you can actually isolate any track in your DAW just by uh, removing frequencies. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty nice, pretty clean. I didn't. I'm not up on that one. I, I know that like a buddy of mine forwarded me. Um, I don't know if somebody hacked or like stole some um, Van Halen 16 track isolated. Oh, really? And it, I think I think they're like on YouTube or something. Yeah. Um, it's David Lee Roth singing "Running with the Devil" without any other tracks. Oh, it's, it's just David Lee Roth. Yeah, it's and he's going ah, ah, ah <laughs> all by himself. It's really yeah, funny. It's funny. I thought about like putting him on his sound bites on here for the <laughs> for the podcast. So but. I don't know how I don't know how they do it, but I think it has to do with um, it's basically like when stuff. Remember, you know, like when stuff is out of phase, and you get you get like yeah. voice counseling. Yeah. They basically use that method. Man, that is like they'll intense. put something out of phase at the same frequency as say like the guitar or bass, or whatever, and then they'll they'll pull it out that way. Okay, so one thing I did was with the um I did a similar technique uh with this old uh recording that we didn't play the well no, we did I think we did play a small recording of it, but that was just straight from the the demo that we did uh without you. Oh yeah, yeah. Without you on it, but it was just Caesar and I um I took uh the voice I took like Ron Ron's voice because of that nasty delay mm-hmm. and um I cleaned it up and I took some of Caesar's guitar and I I I defined the noise like there's there's a um there's a plugin on Reaper where you will 
it'll it'll do an analysis portion and you basically sample the noise. Mm. So when he wow. stops playing, you hear that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the buzzing and then it sampled it and then I ran it through and it pulled the buzz uh. out of the guitar and that was like very helpful. It cleaned up the guitar a little bit, but okay. So it's like a similar. Yeah. It sounds like me. I wonder if it's the same thing. Yeah, but they're but obviously the ones they're using are really sophisticated. Yeah. Wow, I I couldn't believe I can't believe that they can actually isolate. So this is a full drum track, just like completely isolated. Yeah, you can you can find them online. They're full on drum of that same song, or okay. drum and bass, or you know whatever variation you know that you want, basically. So so you're you're doing this now. You're kind of toying around with stuff uh, as a hobbyist. You know, yeah. you're doing. Are, are you planning to write more? music and record more songs or anything or like are you hitting a point where you can actually do this in your schedule i don't know i guess that's the thing is like i feel like i'm kind of i feel like when i was younger my creative juices were really flowing yeah and i think i find i find that as i get older they're not really flowing as much um, and i and i think it's because well they're not playing with people that that may be it too but i feel like i'm still like that's probably what it is yeah i'm, I'm still like attracted to metal punk rock you know, yeah, grunge like that early '90s stuff. Cause, so I feel kind of stuck. You know, yeah. with with writing. Well, your playing is really good, so whatever it is you do, it's it's gonna come out good. I know that. Um, yeah, it'll it'll happen. I, you know, what's funny is I was like doing all this mix down and stuff, and it's it's actually causing me to feel more creative again. Um, I jumped on board. I, I know it's kind of cliche, but you know, this hashtag create twenty twenty four. You know, the last four years have for, you know, the world really has just yeah. been like a Debbie Downer. Yeah. And so there's these people that are doing hashtag tw- uh, create 2024. And really it's like, get out there and create. Just start, just go at it. Start making yeah. stuff. You know? Well, that's that's one of the reasons why I'm doing all this is just because I, I want to get back into like just playing music again instead of just playing. I mean, like I said, like I told you before, one of the reasons why I have all this equipment, I, I can afford it now, but. It's because I just like the way it sounds. Yeah. Like to me, that's like the, that's the, the total gratification is just me jamming out in my room and, and having a good I, time. Yeah. And I just love it. Like, you're, you're, I, yeah, your guitar sound is like nice. Awesome. Thank you. You, you did the Foo Fighters one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that available? Can we, pl- can we play a sample? Yeah. Go to my. Now, uh, that one was done with um, an actual drummer, right? Is that it right there? Yeah. That's a, um, it's right there with the V. Yeah. Oh, of course you're playing your V. Mm <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so what I did is I lifted this one awful. Uh, I also listed, lifted this drum track off of YouTube, but it was a guy covering the yeah, he, song. Yeah, you, you, uh, I think we, we talked a little bit about it. Like, I think the guy just records the drums and throws them on the... Yeah, he just recorded them. And I mean, I, I gave him credit for it in, my, in the post. But, and so then, and then I learned how I can, because his timing was a bit off. Oh, was his timing so, off a so little bit? So this is where I practiced with the timing... And I got oh. his timing synced up on spot. Oh, okay, yeah, it sounded really good. Um, I I thought when I first saw this, I didn't really, I wasn't. You you said like, um, great drum performance recorded by uh, Donnell Bowens. Yeah, that's that's the guy, and I liked his video. When when I saw that, I was like, Who, who's Brian hooking up with? Like, <laughs> like, is Brian like doing some stuff with somebody? I don't know about. Like, I, I was interested to know, but well, it, that guy was really good. So I was like, man, I gotta I gotta use this. Yeah, it sounded really good. So yeah, we'll, we'll play a little bit of this one. And by the way, the intro is a basement, which I think sounds exactly like the record. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would think that maybe they like basements, too. Dude, you can see it in the, in the video. I, dude, that, those early basements are badass. I, I remember when I went to your place uh, a few years ago and you showed this to me. I was like, oh, I, know, I, felt, I felt like, like the, I was in front of the oracles, you know? Dude, <laughs> it just sounds so good. 
they're beautiful. Well, and they're so clear sounding. Yeah, and and you're very like that. You're sitting at your desk there. You made the desk. Yeah. You uh you re- is it this one you reconditioned? I did. I retolexed it. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, man, Brian, you do, you do amazing work. Thanks, dude. If I do it, it, it would look um, really bad. Uh, <laughs> really bad. Really, really, really bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, here here's uh here's your. Oh, there he goes with the cool angle. So this is into the, the ox box. This oh. is the Mesa Boogie into the ox box. Okay, so this is actually a sample of this box we were talking yeah. about. Ken. Yeah, I can hear it's rich. Yeah. Okay, and you, I see your um, your Studio One up there rolling across. Yep. Now, so you're recording right now while the video's playing? Yeah, I was recording while I was recording. I was recording video while I was recording audio. Did you just run uh, an, an an input into the phone? No. So what I did was I like the other, like the other video we just saw. Oh, you taught like okay. I just ran. I put my iPhone off to the side somewhere and just yeah. recorded me playing into my DAW and then I I brought my the video of the iPhone into the video okay. software and then in and then in the video software I imported the audio to it. Okay, yeah, there there's a guy I work with um, at some of these events we do. A guy a guy has a uh, he has a like a, a, a like a television thing called MAP M A A P hmm. broadcasting. And oh here you go. This is some pretty good parts here. The harmonies. Yeah, you win. You're better than Dave Grohl. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I, I, when I work with this guy, his name's George Nime. When we do events together, he films and he'll always go, "Can you do me a favor and send me your audio?" Yeah, because <laughs> he'll he'll take the audio and put it in there, and I'm like, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> but this this is really cool. Your your sound is like amazing. So yeah, all the sound is in the DAW. This is all uh, Studio One. And you've got just like so much cool equipment behind you. You've got this Friedman, you've got the Bassman, you've got the Mesa Boogie, you've got the, the is that a Marshall cabinet? That is a Marshall cabinet, yeah. The, 19, yeah. the 1960 TV. Beautiful. It's got the uh, greenbacks in it, which sound great. You, you, you have come up with a, a really awesome collection of goods. Well, I feel like at this point I'm a curator, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, now because of all the stuff's going digital... Nobody's really using real equipment anymore. But, yeah, it's kind of sad, huh? I, I'm like you. I like real equipment. I like to put my hands on it. I like to. Really, yeah. I like to listen to it and feel it. You know. Yeah, and that that unit. I keep forgetting the name of it. The Oxbox. The Oxbox yeah. is kind of like a happy medium. I think it is, because you're still like you still you still have a touch of reality that you're putting into the digital world. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I saw this, I was like, you know, this is a really good uh, performance. Um, it sounds great. So this is just like an example of like, you know, what people could do at their home and, um, but you were, you were saying like your, your creativity level, you feel like it's kind of like on, uh, maybe in a slump, I would yeah. say. Yeah. 
I would say I'm in a slump. I'm just recording. You know, I'm trying to get back to, you know, like what we did when we were kids. We just recorded what we liked. Yeah. We just played what we liked. That's that. That was the thing. Like right before all this went down, um, right before we all joined the military and stuff, I felt like we were hitting a spot there. Um, you and I had kind of like decided to go and do our own thing. Yeah. Um, we were working with Brent a little bit and we did this thing that you came up with the name Lazy Bone Jones. Oh, Lazy Bone Jones. And <laughs> we were we, we were doing some like um, dinosaur. I mean, we were like writing whatever we wanted to write. Yeah. We were writing music that we wanted to write. We were having like so much fun. Yeah, there, there was like no rules. It was like, we were really hitting some rock and roll I moments. Think so too, yeah. And and uh I, I don't know. I'd like to I'd like to see that happen again. But like um you know, kinda like I, I kinda wanted to talk a little bit about our background too, like and, and what made us what we are. So like um like what did you like what music did you grow up on? I mean, like you kinda had a crazy childhood. You didn't have like a lot of structure. Was there music involved? Oh like, yeah, absolutely. My my aunt, um, she loved the Beatles. Okay. And she played piano. Right. And so I can remember as a three, four year old kid sitting at the piano with her and she'd play all these Beatles songs. And I would oh, just, wow. and I would just love it. I loved it. So she played Beatles on the piano. So she was always playing Beatles or she'd play Elton John or okay. she'd play um you know, just you know, anything that was like piano, uh, you know, top forty of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she was playing it and I loved it. I you know, I absorbed all that up. So and, and, you know, my grandmother, she played the organ. Yep, I remember your grandma had an organ in the house, I yeah, believe. She had an organ, yeah. and my aunt had the piano. Actually, the piano belonged to my grandmother. Okay. So it was sort of like a family, it was a family instrument, you know? Okay. And, you know, of course, I didn't know how to play piano, but I would, like, chop away on it, make noise out of it and stuff. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, but, but yeah, so music has always been around. So, you know, I grew up, like, listening to the Beatles Listening to um, the monkeys, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they, the same here, monkeys. Because I, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, so my grandmother, I think, bought me like these old '60s records. Right? She thought probably I was you. You know, you'll probably like this. You know, and this is in the '70s. The monkeys by then had already been done. You know, <laughs> right? And you know, um, thirty-eight special. I think when I really got into like guitar sound was when we we lived in L.A. for a short bit. Oh, okay. What year? What year, what year was that? Uh, like seventy eight, seventy nine. I think I remember you. Uh, I think I remember you mentioning that to me. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm, you know, Boston was out. Foreigner, yep. thirty eight. Oh, special. I forgot about Foreigner. Yeah. So like those were all like to me like rock. You know, I was like what eight, nine. I don't yeah. know what it was. I was a, uh, yeah, I was like eight or nine years old. Eight years old. So I was listening to like rock and roll yep. at that early age. You know, uh, Eagles. So. Um, oh yeah, Eagles. Thin, thin Lizzy. Oh, Thin Lizzy. You know, oh, um, still so, listen to Thin Lizzy. <laughs> but I'll never forget like that that guitar sound of like Thirty Eight Special. Yeah, like that chugging sound. Like I just always love that sound. I always like that yep. sound of that like harsh rocking guitar. Right. And I knew from that moment on, like I had to play guitar. Yeah. So you, so I was, I was like that too with guitar. I was like, I really wanted to play the guitar so bad as a kid. Like I wanted to, and I, like my mom, I don't know. My mom was always kind of peculiar with me a little bit. <laughs> I wanted to play guitar really bad. She's like, "Oh yeah, sure, you can learn to play guitar. Here's a clarinet." <laughs> like it, it just didn't. I don't know. My mom wanted what was best for me, yeah. and and I learned. Um, actually, I learned a lot about music theory playing clarinet. Um, unfortunately, uh, it, it it only pertains to mostly to woodwinds. It didn't go over <laughs> into guitar land. Yeah, which kind of. I mean, I could have married it up and I was a little lazy in my learning. Yeah. Um, but like, um, 
we were talking like, like, so yeah. So like in my case, you know, my sister was my big influence, like your aunt, you know, influenced you a lot. My sister and my parents influenced me too, but my sister, um, really got me, you know, I grew up with, you know, piggybacking off of her. And so she was heavy crocus, Hagar, Sammy Hagar, Judas priest, cheap trick was a big one. Dude, Dream please. Yeah. Um, the the album that uh that my sister got into that I remember the most is um oh, trying to it has the it has the song um, all shook up that's the name of the album ah. it has the song baby loves to rock do you know that are you familiar with that one I, it's it's uh you would hear it if you heard it I, I'm not singing it to you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like that was that that was like really big and then of course kiss you know um and uh so she was she was like you know, I was telling you before, it was like, she was like maybe 1981 to like 1988 was like her sweet spot of music. We were into a lot of stuff in the seventies as well. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, we were in, like my sister, we were listening to like disco. Hmm. So like songs like funky town. Oh yeah. And, and songs like that. Uh, another band that, uh, I didn't, another band too, that like really influenced me a lot was the missing persons. Like for some reason, the missing persons were just like, there was something about the missing persons to me. It was like the guitar playing was like loud, heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And then you had, uh, what's her name? Uh, Dale Bozio is the singer. And she just kind of had this like kind of really feminine kind of voice that they were, they were just like an amazing band. Um, we were talking about the us festival. Yeah, man. <laughs> and, and like missing persons played the us festival just down the street from our house as kids. And, um, so, but, but like before that, like you mentioned the monkeys, you know, but my dad, my dad was like really savvy in music too. And there would be like these intellectual conversations about rock and roll in the house. And my dad would, was always kind of like, you know, telling my sister about stuff before Crocus, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and uh sweet was like a band that my dad was trying to recommend to listen to. And I piggybacked off of that big time. And then of course the birds and, um, and anyway, so that was like a fun time growing up. And then of course my dad and mom both like Motown music, uh, you know, uh blue uh blues music, bluegrass. We we had a 45. They had a stack of 45s. Um we could listen to so I like from Ray Charles to like you name it. Um th- there was just so much uh, the OJs, um Diana Ross and the Supremes. I used to look at the album covers for some reason. <laughs> um but you know, uh just they were they were just such uh like awesome bands and like it, it's interesting so i think my biggest frustration for us is like you know hindsight looking back why was i frustrated i i feel like you know after listening to these recordings that we did yeah we kind of sounded like a typical inland empire punk band yeah <laughs> like it was pretty staple well, yeah. i think so we didn't think we were though we thought we were different well i think i like to think we were better yeah. I mean, because some of them did suck, dude. Oh, some of them were just horrible, yeah. And, and there was like, and then, so like Spanky's Cafe. Yeah. like So we're getting into the 90s. Spanky's Cafe was like big. I, I don't know, somewhere, somehow, somewhere, somebody said, you need to play Spanky's. I have no idea how that came up. I don't either. I, I bet you it was Jason, though. But Probably Jason or Ron. Yeah. It might have been Ron, actually. Yeah. The, you know what? I think it was Ron. Because he, I think he lived in Riverside for a bit, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So he must have said, let's go play Spanky's. We're like, all right. That probably was what we did. And that that's the amazing, the, the, we won't, we won't, we won't name names on that one, but we started to call our, we, we were called power trip, <laughs> but 
we morphed it and now i think i don't know if you do but like i call it power terp yeah we, i don't even call it power I, two reasons why because it was already that band called power trip yeah. that the jeff doll guy had were they in la i think he might have been in la yeah um i never looked into him but people would say oh you mean jeff doll power trip i'm like oh great mm-hmm. this is not good uh we should have just stuck with power terp well i thought before power trip would have gone over well wasn't uh before power trip wasn't disturbed yeah, Disturbed, and right. uh, coincidentally, an, uh, like a late 90s band came out called Disturbed, yeah, yep. but that was way after. Sure, yeah. um, I don't know what made us change Disturbed. Maybe it's just maybe it's just too disturbing of a name. <laughs> These names were just really yeah. kind of locking you down to a type of music. And then, of course, you know, we ended up changing it over to Zad. <laughs> Well, I think that these point, were my ridiculous ideas, by the way. They were, but I, I think, make fun of these, but they came from my head. Yeah, yeah. Stupid. <laughs> well, I think I think because we're still kind of like, at least from my experience, I was fairly new to recording with you guys because you guys are already recording yeah. a couple of years before me, before I came into the picture, and I feel like I was still coming of learning about music and yeah. kind of learning my style, and I feel like if we would have melded together. We could have learned our style a little bit better, you know. Probably so. I don't know. Maybe we could do it now. We're st- we're 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 still young yet. I'm down for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like I was like thinking about. Um, there's this documentary on on this group, the Wrecking Crew. Have you ever heard of? No. The, this is like the people that wrote all those songs. They wrote the Monkees. They wrote. Oh. They, they were like former members of, or not former members. They they ended up making bands like Bread. They're basically studio musicians. Yeah, they were like the best of the yeah. best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Neil Diamond was a chief songwriter. Um, uh, let's see. Um, they did uh, a lot of Mamas and the Papas. Um, birds. They did a lot of Birds. Um, they recorded the whole album Pet Sounds, this group of people. Oh, wow. Uh, Glenn Campbell, one of my favorite guitar players. This guy was just... He, you know, he died in Arizona, actually. Um, did he really? Yeah, he got Alzheimer's out here. He Check this out. Glenn Campbell. Wait, was he the one with the... Uh, Rhinestone the- Cowboy... Oh, okay. I was thinking of someone else. Go on. He wrote Last Train to Clarksville, I believe. Okay. Oh. Or, no, or no, maybe the brothers, those two brothers. It, it gets crazy. Yeah. Uh, because there was so many people involved in writing all that music, but Glenn Campbell was like a big one. The funny thing about Glenn Campbell, though, is this is crazy. Glenn Campbell uh, becomes a diehard Christian. He might have been one the whole time. Um, he ends up uh, playing in a praise band in Phoenix for fun. Oh, wow. Can you imagine you go to your, your, you go to, Hey, I heard about this church down the way. Let's go check them out. And there's Glenn Campbell playing in the praise band. That would be, that would be sweet. That'd be crazy. But anyway, he, uh, he, yeah, he got Alzheimer's and died out here in Arizona. But, um, I was actually thinking of Roy Clark. Oh, Roy Clark. I think Roy Clark might've been involved in some of wrecking crew. Maybe I was, he was a beast on guitar. My dad likes Roy Clark. He was so good. But yeah, this wrecking crew is just like an amazing, uh, group of people uh the that and, and the reason why i'm talking about him is because we were talking about songwriting and creativity like these guys sat and wrote songs on piano yeah you know neil diamond i i saw a clipping um in the um uh, a clipping of the monkeys hanging out in neil diamond's office wow neil diamond had an office with like a, a piano and uh the other lady it's like carol k i think it's carol k you have carol king and carol k i I'm I'm dropping uh, blanks on these names, but like they're just some of like the most amazing songwriters of the time. But you know, um, it's kind of like uh, I, I think we're kind of like there. Yeah, <laughs> I think we kind of like hit the 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 the, uh, 
the uh, end of the road here, Brian. So what is what is MFM? Oh, you you have a note up there. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. I forgot about this. What is this? Okay, so we were talking about bands and the spanky scene. Yeah. You know what? Do you have anything to elaborate on with the spanky scene? Well, remember we saw No Doubt there. Yeah. So No Doubt played, uh, and we used to play a lot of those fests where there would be like, like nine thousand bands on a yeah. bill, and you could only play three. Songs. I know. <laughs> we try to sneak in a fourth. But you know, we had a funny incident. Um, but yeah, I'll get to the. Oh, so, so MFF. What, oh, okay. what MFM? Do you remember a band out there called The Men From Mars? Oh, dude, yes, I do. We used to spend so much time making fun of them. <laughs> and you want to know something? The truth is, I was a closet fan. Dude, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. You know what? I, I don't have it with me. It, it, it's in that box. But I actually bought their tape right before I joined the Army. Oh, really? I was at like Mad Platter or yeah. one of those record stores. Oh, okay, yeah. I saw that and I grabbed it. Um, cause I was at Spanky's one night. It was like one of those nights when nobody's there yeah. and, the, and the bass player singer guy that would wear the leg warmers and the weird antennas. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I bumped into him and he starts talking to me and we're just sitting there talking about like his band and he was aware of our band. Oh, was he? Yeah. And we just started kind of like talking. And I thought, man, Neil, you, you can be a real jerk. <laughs> like he was saying such horrible things about this band guy turns out to be totally like a nice guy. And then, uh, and then I bought the, um, and then I bought the the tape later. Um, I'm going to transfer that to digital. But like those guys, if you think about it, they were like ahead of their time. Yeah. Like they were a super good band. I wish my brain was just open just a little more to yeah. like sit down and like hear those guys. They were they were kind of piggybacking off of the old glam uh, New York Dolls mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which I didn't. So we didn't we didn't talk about the '90s yet. But but like in the '90s, I got frustrated. Mm. Um, you said you had fun in the night. Dude, 90s. I loved it. What, what was it you liked about it? Well, okay, so remember we talked about bass. I feel like the the quality of music was changing, the sound of music was changing. Yeah. And, I mean, lo and behold, I think that's maybe why grunge got so popular is because it was so different than what was happening in the 80s. Yeah. And whereas the 80s had a thinner sound, uh, music tr- in the 90s true, was, yeah. was more full sounding. Yeah, yeah, was, they did. It was thicker. There was more bottom end. It was like a more powerful, uh, I think, quality of sound. Yeah, and I did get into some bands. I got into Teenage Fan Club, which I still like. Teenage Fan Club, uh, did, did, uh, a Jellyfish, of course. Yeah. Did you ever hear Imperial Drag? Um, I don't. I don't. Remember. I mean, I went deep. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think at some point, um, you know, we grew up listening to the heavy metal, punk rock, and yeah, all that stuff, and I feel. I feel like. I continued on just finding more and more aggressively good stuff. Yeah. Like, you know. Not that any of it's bad. No, yeah. It's just a different different style yeah. of music. Because I'm, you know, that's what I always liked about guitars. It's just really aggressive. If there was a, an aggressive guitar sound, I wanted to know where it was. So do you think you're more of a guitar guy than like a full bird's eye view? Like, do you, do you see the world through a guitar lens or do you see it through like a wide angle lens? Yeah, I, I definitely see it through a guitar. Do you really? Yeah. I guess I see it different. Um, well, like, yeah, because you, I mean, you, you, you learn different instruments, you know? That could be. And I, like, I remember uh, in the 90s, you know, getting, I was very bummed out. So I can tell you what, what turned me into, like, what made me shut down. Mm-hmm. You had Warrant Cherry Pie. Oh, dude. So Warrant has Cherry Pie. And, and like, all these other bands had come out before that. You had, like, Steelheart, Cinderella, like, all, like, it was, it had become to a point where, like, it was like, dude, 
like this 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 real estate bubble is going to burst. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and and so Warrant Cherry Pie comes out um and then and then the other side Grunge, we were heavily into that. Like we got into Mud Honey. Yeah. The first two Soundgarden albums like I was Oh dude. And yeah. then Hiro Yamamoto, the bass player left and I quit listening to Soundgarden. Yeah. I I can be terrible. I can be stubborn, well, I think. Well, it did change though. Yeah, and so I, I stopped listening to Soundgarden at that point. But still listen to the Melvins though. Like I'll never stop listening to the Melvins. Uh, Butthole Surfers. Houdini's a good album. Yeah, Houdini's like incredible. Do you know that song Honey Bucket? Yep. Oh man, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's like the best song ever written in the history of mankind. <laughs> well, especially you know, in contrast to what was going on back then, you know, you think about it like metal was fast and aggressive. Yeah, and then, and then here comes Melvin's. Oh yeah, I know it was glorious. How, how slow can we go? Was the idea, <laughs> and the, so that so yeah, you had that of course, and then of course the um, but basically I think what did it was like you had Warren's Cherry Pie, and then I'm over at uh, we're at Patrick's house one day, and they've got MTV playing in one of the rooms, and I walked in and that Jeremy video is on. Oh God. And there's this video and it's got this kid and he's depressed and they're throwing dirt at him or whatever it is on the video. And then at the end, he like blows his brains out or something in front of the, I don't know what he did. All I know is like, I was done. Supposedly that was based on a true story. It it probably was, but like basically it made me just kind of go, yeah, it it, it shut me down. (laughs) Sure. Not too long after that though, we were in the military and I'm in, um, in, uh, um, Colleen and there's a boutique that was kind of like a pawn shop and I started buying somebody's old record collection so you had like Zappa's apostrophe Steve Vice flexible like that whole thing and then the guy that worked there of course was like totally like he was like my dad's age the guy that was running the store I think yeah. it was his shop he starts asking me so you ever listen to the birds <laughs> well, my dad was a birds fan <laughs> it, it just got kind of yeah. so that's where it went but um I don't know like to me I I think I, th- I think we have a future and I think it's going to be fun. And um, I don't know. I think that, I think that, I think that pretty much sums it all up. I think it does, man. It was awesome having you on though. Yeah. Thanks man for inviting me. I really appreciate it. We went an hour longer than uh, expected. I don't know. There's no time limit on this. This always happens. Man. <laughs> yeah, I know we get on the phone and it's like, <laughs> I'm not calling that guy. Cause I'll be on the phone for the next couple hours. <laughs> it's but, true. but yeah, like, um, It was it was a lot of fun talking about this stuff. Um, so are we are we going to try to do a project? I think we should. A- am I obligating you? There are six people listening. <laughs> Neil, I've been waiting. I've been waiting honestly to. I've been. Yeah, we need to get together. We should, and we won't have any rules. Um, we'll just throw stuff down. We'll throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah, it'd be fun. And. Uh, yeah. So anyone listening right now, I thank you so much for listening to the GunterSounds.net podcast and we will have more for you soon. <laughs>